When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like, breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you loved the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy. Without all the extra drama. I even had a gift Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Danny LaRue, your host, and so happy to have you with us. This episode is on the NBA Draft. I wanted to do it from the perspective of fans that are more into the NBA than college, because I feel like that's an angle that's a little bit different than what some people do on the draft, and I'm thrilled with the guests that we had. I have Sam Vecini of CBS Sports and Mike Schmitz of Draft Express. And for this podcast in particular, I wanted it to be two guests at the same time interacting because the draft is something where individuals have such various opinions. And so I I like the two of them interacting with one another and throwing my weird ideas off them. Conversation runs about an hour ten. I really enjoyed it. We covered a lot of ground in terms of the players there. And I feel like if you're somebody who hasn't followed as much attention this year, and I admit that this has been my least attentive college year in in recent memory, this will get you a long way in terms of who to watch, who to follow, and the names that you'll probably be hearing in June. Hope you enjoy it. Well, thank you guys both so much for coming on. No problem. Yeah, absolutely. Danny, it's always a treat to have real GM people yell at me on my Twitter account. <laughs> it's so much fun to do. Uh, but what what I thought would be a fun podcast to do, we're getting right into the conference schedule for most schools, is to kind of get the perspective of people who know the draft really well in terms of the players that people who are more focused on the NBA should know about. And the first question that I had was, if you had to pick a single team for people who are more focused on the NBA to just keep an eye on, what team would that be? Sure. So there are a lot of different ways you can kind of go about this question. Like Kentucky probably has the most prospects and Kansas uh, has a few interesting guys, at least. I'm going to say Maryland. The reason for that is that Maryland has three guys that could conceivably go in the first round in Mellow Trimble, Jake Lehman and Diamond Stone. Uh, they also have, you know, a, an interesting-ish guy in Robert Carter, who's probably a little bit too undersized, but he'll play uh, in Europe for a long time. But the other thing to remember about Maryland is that there is a strangely high number of NBA draft prospects in the Big Ten this year compared to what we've seen in the past. You look at Wisconsin, they have Nigel Hayes, who uh, is a pretty interesting prospect to me. Michigan, you have Karis LeVert. Michigan State, you have Denzel Valentine. Iowa has Utah. 
Purdue has the three big guys. Indiana has uh, a bunch of all offense, no defense guys. So you kind of get, uh, I, I would say you'll probably see like 20 or so prospects throughout the course of the season if you just pay attention to Maryland. Yeah, it's kind of the, like Sam mentioned, the basic standard answer. But I would just have to say Kentucky uh, just because they have some, you know, potential-ish star power at the top, uh, depending on who you ask, and then and then some depth as well. You know, this whole Scal, Abissier situation is, is really, really interesting. Um, a guy who, you know, I know Sam and I have both always thought that he's had quite a bit of upside. He was phenomenal at the Nike Hoop Summit, yeah. and he really has been – pretty much a zero, um, you know, through this part of the season so far. So uh, seeing how that's going to play out to me is one of the more interesting storylines, you know, of the draft and of the college season. But then just outside of him, I mean, you have Jamal Murray, who's a potential top 10 guy, a lottery guy. You have Isaiah Briscoe, who, you know, if he comes out, he's a first-round guy, in my opinion. Uh, then you have Tyler Ulis, who, you know, you have to love, just tiny, scrappy, plays the right way way floor general type who can fill it up so then marcus lee and then even looking you know in the future you have isaac humphreys as well uh the big seven footer so i think that there's a lot of depth there and and there's also uh, a very very interesting situation with uh what's going on with scal right now yeah i think the scal story is just one of the one of the more surprising things because while he did have a lot of variance i mean it's it seems to me like this has kind of gone on the on the lower side of that but has what we've seen so far really affected your view of his ceiling, or is it more just kind of his expected result or floor? Uh, I mean, as far as Scal, in my opinion, uh, I, we at CBS put him as a first-team All-American, and I thought it was kind of crazy. Uh, I, I was not uh, I was not privy to that decision necessarily. Uh, it was a guy. He's a guy that really hasn't played high school basketball in two years. First year due to injury, and the second year due to less than ideal circumstances regarding what his guardian, uh, how his guardian is handling him. So this is a kid that comes in with less experience than a lot of bigger guys. Then you add on the fact that he's a kid that has a lot of weight issues, a lot of strength issues uh, at around 200 and I would say 15 pounds, 220 pounds at seven feet tall. So it's not really a surprise that you know, he can't establish position. It's not a surprise that he uh, it might be like a step slow to the ball in a lot of ways. Uh, his feel for the game hasn't been great by any means so far yet. Um, maybe it's something he can continue to improve on as he gains experience. Maybe you think that is a significant deterrent to his upside. Uh, that That's one of those things we're not real sure about yet, and that that's uh, probably the scariest thing about his prospects right now, in my opinion. But having said that, like, this isn't a guy who's, been like a total non-factor yet like he's still averaging like nine points and four rebounds a game like he he had a big game against south florida who's at least like a non-zero team like they're not good but they're not disastrous i mean you drop 26 on an njit team that might make the tournament the last three games have been a disaster he's only had four points against high major competition and that's where a lot of this comes from it's been a very bad set of games for him but having said that, I'm not super worried yet. I moved him down to like six on my board, but you know, this scout's criticism that uh, Adam Zagoria published is insane to me. Uh, it doesn't deal in reality of the situation. The fact of the matter is, I think Scal Abissier, if he went into an NBA draft tomorrow, would be a top 10 pick in my opinion. So, I mean, maybe it doesn't last. Maybe he ends up having a horrible freshman season and things go totally wrong. But right now, like, 
early season struggles are nothing to get crazy up in arms about. Yeah, I, I'm with Sam in pretty much every area there. I don't think that he was ever a guy people thought was going to come in and just kill, 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 be a production monster. Uh, like Sam said, he's really a guy who hadn't played high school basketball for two years, and, and what's been so intriguing about him was always his upside. And to me, I don't think that's changed a ton. I think the biggest fear for me is the feel stuff. And, the um, you know, he's he's never really been much of a rebounder. Um, not, not that we have a huge sample to really place this on. I mean, he really blew up at the Nike Hoop Summit. Um, so it's, you know, a week of practice there and then, and then a game and then what we have so far this year. But so we always knew he was going to be kind of more of a project. Uh, I think just now watching him, you can just tell he's scared to make a mistake. He's yeah. looking over the bench. You know, you know, he's waiting for Cal to rip him after, you know, he misses a box out or he drops a pass or, uh, he's playing the game very, very tentatively. And I don't think that's something that's never going to change. Like that's a comfortability issue more than anything to me. And I, and, you know, the body is a little bit concerning, uh, because at 215, it's going to be kind of tough to be a five in a lot of ways to me. And, and he doesn't quite have the feel, uh, you'd like to see of a four right now, but his skill set is still really impressive. He's still averaging 18 points per 40 minutes. He's shooting, you know, 52% from two. Um, averaging almost four blocks per 40. So like Sam said, it's really been as of late where you can really see like against some legitimate teams. Cal doesn't trust him. He doesn't trust himself. Uh, he, he just doesn't have great instincts, I think, on, on the defensive glass and his, his defensive rotations. And, and things like that are more worrisome to me. But I think he's going to settle in. He's he's a different type of situation than than other kids. I mean, he's not someone like, you know, Ben Simmons who's been – who won four high school championships, who's been, uh, you know, on the cover of magazines for years. Uh, you know, he really was a bit of a late riser, and uh, he, he's got a different development curve. So I think when, as people are killing him right now, I think you really have to keep that in mind. Yeah, I agree with Mike. Do you guys both see him eventually as as a four just in the NBA? I mean, I think that the strength issue is just going to be something. I don't know that he can physically get to the point where he can play it as his primary. Sure, he can he can spot there, but I think that his natural position is probably going to be the four. I agree with that, by the way. I think he's more of a pick-and-pop four. I think that as he continues to gain experience, you have to hope the feel comes along. Um, and, and I think that there is potential for that to happen. Uh, some people say that feel is kind of an innate skill that you have. Others think that uh, it's something you continue to develop as you play uh, more and more minutes at each level. Um, I tend to think it's kind of a combination of the two. I think he can develop enough feel to where you can be a pick-and-pop four if he can have like a – more of a playmaking five next to him. Like if you can have a guy like an Andrew Bogut next to him, I think that that would be really interesting because uh, Scal doesn't really ever look to pass right now just because he doesn't really know how. And you, you hope that from your fours now in the NBA that you can get a little bit more playmaking, that they can make that right, uh, that right read and rotate the ball around the perimeter, or rotate the ball uh, or kick it out. But, you know, if you can get him with the right guy next to him, I think he can be a pretty solid four. Like Carl Anthony Towns? Yeah, I think that would be a good fit. I, I my, my hope now, considering his stock is dropping a little bit, is that if Minnesota does a little better than expected, that they that that can happen because I think that would be a really nice combination of players. Yeah, I think that's a great fit. I think, like Sam said, uh, pick 
in pop four, I think the biggest thing for him will be able to, or being able to, you know, read the stunt man coming over or attack a closeout um, when they're kind of running him off of his spots and being able to read the help defense and make the right play. I think that's the biggest thing for him. But I, I think it's important to know that like, Scal, you know, regardless of his situation, and maybe it's just from a few interviews that we've had with him, but is very much a good kid. Um, yeah, he's been through some stuff, obviously, and and uh, but he's a kind of a yes sir type of kid, and he's he's a really smiley guy, and he, I mean, he's just had some issues, and he's overwhelmed, but I, uh, in time, he's going to settle down. Yeah, he gets a little bit of a bad rap because of the situation with his guardian causing issues as far as his eligibility. But like Mike said, this is a kid who is absolutely respected as a smart stand-up kid. So I would not be worried about you know him not working hard or not trying to develop his game. He's going to work. It's just whether or not he can make it happen. So I think the place to go from here is if the draft were, as, as Sam said earlier, if the draft were tomorrow, and we'll not acknowledge things like team needs or anything like that, just where your top five would be, you can go five to one, one to five, whatever, and it doesn't have to be, you know, if guys are close, you can say they're close, but just kind of where the top of the, where the top of the top is right now. Yeah, um, I think there are some guys who are definitely close. I, I, I would start, I guess, from five since we're talking about him. That's where I have Scal right now. Like we've all said, I mean, he, he's got a chance to go higher than that, I think. And he's got a chance to go lower than that. But um, I think right now for me, that's kind of where he sits, given his upside and, and given uh, how he's struggled. Four, I have Chris Dunn. I know Sam's always been a huge Chris Dunn guy, and, and I think he's someone you can just pencil in as an NBA starter type. He's got the physical tools. He's athletic. He defends. He can really pass. And I think the biggest thing is, is for him is – Always been his jumper um, and kind of being able to settle down a little bit. You know, he, he gets a little bit wild, but I think he's con- consistently improving in that regard. And he's a two-way guy. Even though he's older, I, I think he's, a you know, as much of a sure thing at the point guard spot uh, as there is in this draft. And then at three, I have Dragon Bender. 7-1 Croatian kid who's starting to pick it up a little bit in the Israeli league. Really, really versatile guy. He moves like a wing. He, he guards the perimeter. Uh, he doesn't have a crazy wingspan, but he's got a 9-3 standing reach, which is excellent for an NBA center even. Doesn't have a great body, but um, he's really shooting it well this year, which is huge for him. He's, he's never really been seen as a shooter. I think he's at maybe... 43% or something like that this year. And, and he's the uh, youngest player in the draft, I believe. So, the, you know, there's a lot of upside there with him. And then, you know, this is where I may take some heat, but I actually have Ben Simmons at number two. And it might, I might come off as a Ben Simmons hater, but he's a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. I love the way he plays. His basketball instincts are off the charts, and I think he's going to be a phenomenal player for years and years to come. Uh, I just I do have some concerns about you know if if you take him number one and you're leaning on him to be your guy like how is he gonna s- score in the half court? Um, I do have concerns about his jumper, obviously as as everyone else does. You know he he's again an, an excellent talent, but he gets so much of his offense in transition. I think like 31 percent of it. If you kind of look at who they've played so far: McNeese State, Kennesaw State, South Alabama. Marquette, NC State, College of Charleston, North Florida, Houston, Gardner-Webb, Oral Robertson, American. So he's putting up crazy numbers, and, and he's an awesome, awesome talent. Um, but I do like Brandon Ingram a little bit more than him, uh, just in terms of upside. 
when you look at his measurements, you know, people make the KD comparison. I don't think that's completely fair. KD is just such a phenomenal shooter, but almost 6'10 in shoes, 7'3 wingspan, 9'1 and a half standing reach. You know, I looked, KD is the only non big in the NBA that we have measurements on um, with a greater than 9'1 standing reach. So he gives you a lot of versatility. Um, I think his frame is, is going to continue to fill out kind of like uh kind of reminds me of Giannis's in a little bit in a little ways and he's got some feel he he can shoot it he makes plays defensively and he's over a year younger than Ben Simmons so that's kind of my top five and uh and how I have it as of now but you know obviously things can change so uh one thing I wanted to ask and I'm, I'm sure he'll be on Sam's list too but um a guy just a quick interjection before we get Sam's list is Chris Dunn my question with him, either I think there are kind of actually two big questions. So one is, will he be able to run an NBA offense? And two, can he defend shooting guards? Because if he can defend twos and still run an offense, his value goes through the roof. Uh, I think that both of the answers to those questions are yes. I mean, he has a 6'9-ish, 6'10 wingspan, something like that. I, I, it's pretty crazy uh, for a kid that's 6'3", 6'4", and he's just strong as a bull. Uh, he's... You, you look at him on the court and he looks like a wing kind of just in terms of how broad his shoulders are and how, you know, kind of thick his upper body is. He is going to be able to defend twos, I think. Uh, as far as running NBA offense, I think that he's strong enough in the pick and roll. He has good enough feel there that it's going to be fine. And again, this is a kid that is going to be helped by the increased space uh, in the mid-range in the NBA. Because if you look at the shooting numbers, uh, yeah, he's not a great shooter from distance. But if you uh, look at his mid-range game, it's actually really good. Uh, he knocked down something pretty crazy. I want to say like 46-ish percent of his mid-range shots last year, uh, if I'm quoting that stat correctly. But he's going to be helped a lot by that area in the mid-range. And plus, I think, you're, like I said, you're talking about a potential all-NBA defender is what's kind of mm-hmm. like you're not just talking about a guy that can defend plays two ways. You're talking about based on his length, his athleticism, and the fact that he really gives a damn on that end. Uh, you're talking about an all NBA defender, not just like a good defender. Yeah. I mean, Dunn, I agree with Sam on, on both those points. I, I do still think he is a little bit wild. Yeah, his, that's true. His turnover numbers have always been pretty high. And, you know, even defensively too, I think he's a guy who on the ball is very good. And I mean, he's averaging 4.2 steals per 40, you know, I, I'm not a huge, like, that's a great indicator of a good defender, right. but he's also the type of guy who loves to go for steals. He gets out of position a lot. Um, he's just kind of a wild dude in general, but like Sam said, physically, he's a freak, he can really, really guard on the ball. And, you know, people talk about the mid-range art as, you know, threes and layups and blah, blah, blah. But a little bit like Chris Paul, I mean, if he can find a way how to kill that mid-range, then, you know, I think he's going to be pretty good offensively because he's already really good in the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will note this as well regarding the turnovers. Uh, his turnover rate was crazy last year. It's 22.6%. This year it's dropped by 7% down to 15.8%. Uh, that's incredibly important for what he is doing this year at, at Providence. Uh, they're turning the ball over less as a team, and they're playing much more efficient offense uh, in the process, and that's why they're a top 12 team or something in the college basketball right now. Yeah, I've been impressed with the way he's been able to kind of settle things down a little bit this year in a way that he wasn't able to last year. 
his limitations on the shooting end make me think, and this is true from what I've seen of his game in general, is that he'd be he'd be a guy who you wouldn't really want off ball. Like you'd want him to be the guy who's who's your who's your primary guy. I mean, he can do some secondary stuff, but would having him as a secondary kind of cut away from his value? Yeah, I think he's strictly. You want him on the ball, I, and I, like you said, his limitation shooting I think hurt him a little bit because he's a guy you can help off of, and, and just but his his skill set is very much his best value is with the ball in his hands. Yeah, I'm with Mike. You, you want him as a one. He's a he's a point guard offensively, a lead guard offensively, who uh, you mostly want guarding ones, but who you can probably switch over to a two if you uh, want to play like a two point guard lineup. And something else that I was thinking about with uh, with Mike's list is there's this growing group of guys that are, are, I would say, are a combination forwards defensively, so you can put them on one or the other, and Simmons might actually be the new poster child for this. And what I like about a guy like Simmons, who can theoretically defend both, is, yeah, he's probably not going to be your ace on either, but if you put him with a guy, there are a lot of guys now, like Kawhi Leonard is obviously the archetype, but he's a little bit beyond those guys, is that somebody who can defend both, and if he's good enough offensively, you can put somebody next to him who can defend the better, who can defend the tougher cover, and then you just, if his if his value is there, then you, you get a lot of the positives without the negatives. Sure, I, I think that that's entirely fair. I think that Simmons is probably going to be best off defending fours just because he he doesn't move super well laterally uh in space to me on defense part of that just might be that he just doesn't kind of get down his stance and doesn't really care all that often and to be honest that lsu situation isn't going to make that any better uh but you know maybe he can develop into a guy that defends threes but right now i think he is more of a guy who defends fours regularly as as opposed to a guy that is going to have success defending threes. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think he's fairly equal there, to be honest. Like, I, I think he's, you know, pretty solid laterally, in my opinion. I think a lot of it is, like you said, the LSU situation is kind of tough to read um, yeah. because that team is just a mess. I, I think he moves pretty well laterally, to be honest. I think I did have it, some it's... questions about him defending the interior just because he's not overly long. Um, yeah. He's got a 6'11 wingspan, and you know the LSU combine stuff has him at a nine foot standing reach, but uh, the hoop summit had him at an eight seven standing reach. So I'm going to say it's somewhere in between there. But <laughs> yeah, he's he, to me he's kind of a guy who's not going to be great at either, but I think he can do both. Yeah, it's kind of like Carmelo Anthony to me in that way. Like he has kind of that you know like wide base throughout his the middle of his body. Uh, it's where I think he's going to be a little bit better off defending fours than threes. He might be able to defend threes, but I think it's going to be a much higher success rate of him defending fours and defending in the post just because of that uh, wide frame. Like he's strong enough throughout the middle part of his lo- of his body and throughout his lower body that I think he's going to be able to keep guys off the post. And especially with the way fours are moving further and further away from the basket, uh, I think that that's going to be where he finds his most success. And it's true that most guys who can defend, so like the ace defender that you'd pair with Simmons, are are more guys that are comfortable handling threes that you slide up. Kawhi is the example there. There are a lot of other guys that that you do that with. I mean, they're Paul George, for instance. Yeah, Paul George is another great example. And maybe Wiggins. Well, I don't know if Wiggins will ever defend fours, but. Those those kind of guys are generally a little bit smaller and scaling up, and that actually works well. Like I was thinking about if Ben Simmons were playing the Warriors, you'd probably want him on Harrison Barnes, so then you wouldn't tie him up in all the Draymond Curry pick and rolls. Yeah, yeah, 
And that would work in me as long as you have the right guy. And the big question for me with, with him is just, can he be a big enough overall positive offensive force, whether it be primarily on the ball or off the ball, to make that worth it? I think the answer is yes, but the jumper is a little bit of a concern because if that's not there, it just gets harder, especially as in, even though guys that aren't point guard size can hand, can run an offense, it just gets harder when you are when you don't trust your own shot. Yeah, and I think it really handicaps him in the half court, I, I know he's shooting a good percentage from the free throw line, but he's he's never really been a guy who's comfortable, there, uh, you know, taking and making perimeter shots. And I think if you look, like I said, 31% of his offense is coming in transition, which is a really, really high number. And then 15 of it is coming in the post. And that's really where he's having most of his success. And I don't really see him as like a post guy in the NBA. You know what I mean? Um, he's more of like a playmaking four uh, who can really, really pass. So I, I, I have my concerns about him as a scorer, um, no question. But so I, I'm interested to see, you know, how that translates uh, once conference play starts. My theory, yeah. my theory with that, with Ben, is that you, as somebody who covers the Warriors, is that I think if you used him in kind of that Draymond Green role where you can use that post-up ability to punish switches, I think that might be the way he does it. Because I think him against most NBA fours, that's not really going to work. But if you put a two or a th- if you put a two or a one on him, then he can go to town. Right. Right, yeah. And uh, the guy that I keep comparing him to is Blake Griffin. Uh, the, the fact that he has that success in the post kind of only enhances that to me in a way. I mean, you look at what Blake's done over the course of the last three years or so to really diversify his game and become the perimeter threat that he is, kind of fits to me. Blake was always a really big threat in transition at Oklahoma, uh, not with the ball in his hands necessarily, but running the floor and filling in lanes. You look at what Blake's been able to do as a passer recently. I mean, he's one of the best passing big men in the NBA now. Um, he's one of the best rebounders in the NBA, or not one of the best rebounders in the NBA, but he's a very good rebounder. And Simmons has also proven that ability to where he's a very strong rebounder who goes up and attacks the ball. So I'm a very, I don't know that I'm like very high on him being like Blake Griffin, but I think it's a closer comp than uh, a lot of the like LeBron, uh, like guys like that who are more perimeter based players. I think Simmons is going to be more of a, uh, in the half court where he's going to find his success is more, uh, probably in the post and mid post and, you know, at the top of the key. Yeah. I, I just think that Blake is such a special athlete. Like Simmons has some good body control stuff and, mm-hmm. and um, he's a good he's athlete, explosive. but like, he's nowhere near, I, to me. He's like, I, I agree with the comp in a lot of ways. And Sam and I have talked about that in the past. I just think that like, when you're comparing someone to Blake Griffin, like athleticism has to be one of the first things you look at. Right. And yeah. I think Simmons, he could be, like, he could be like 38 year old Blake Griffin. Yeah, there we go. Well, it's 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 kind of a different athleticism with Ben. Like Ben is incredibly coordinated and incredibly right. fluid for a guy that's six foot nine. Blake like, is more your is there for sure. Yeah, like Blake is more your explosive, attack the rim, do everything crazy kind of guy. You know what I mean? Like just gonna provi- provide that immense explosiveness. Whereas Ben is, like I said, just more of a coordinated, fluid guy. I think that they're like, I mean similar athletes they're just diff they're they're similar level athletes as far as skill they're just different in the way that they use their athleticism yeah and i think the the draymond stuff is good in a lot of ways i just think that the the difference there is like draymond's become a guy who can make a spot three right in this put those pick and pop situations and ben you know that's something like he really has to be able to do in my opinion like draymond shooting 39 percent from three this year you know that's obviously not his career mark but i think that's just a, a really 
it's continually the biggest question with Simmons for me, and it's it's just it's somewhat tough to take a guy number one when when you just don't know if he's going to be able to score outside of t- ten feet. And it, it one of the things that I think about a lot with Ben is he's somebody who would be a lot better with better teammates. Like you think mm-hmm. about you think about the especially the teams that are at the bottom of this year's NBA is that they're they're teams that need a lot of help and. Simmons is is someone who I think that he could be like I I'd love him as the third best player who's maybe equal with the second best player on a really good team like I think that's something that he could do in in a like you know let's say when he gets to be like 25 26 and that's not a criticism I think that's that's mm-hmm. a role that you want a lot of guys in but a lot of times those players really struggle when they're either the guy or even the number 2 like you know I like kind of like if he were if he gets into a spot where he has to do Maybe what Andrew Wiggins is doing right now, that might be what Andrew Wiggins last year, not this year. I think that would be really hard for him. Yeah, he's definitely a guy who's going to succeed with, with players next to him. But, I mean, he's so fun to watch. And he, he's really been a lot better on the glass than I ever expected. Uh, his instincts and ability to, like Sam said, just go and get it uh, have definitely been a su- pleasant surprise to me. So, hey, if you're an NBA GM and, and you want to keep your job, he's probably a guy you take. Uh, I just like the upside of, of Ingram a little bit more. Sam, before we get too far, we should probably go through your top five since we've only had one so far. <laughs> it's it's not terribly dissimilar from Mike's, I'll say that. Uh, number one, I do have Ben Simmons. Number two, I have Ingram. Like Mike said, I just think that the certainty that Ben Simmons will be a highly successful NBA player is there. It's whether or not you think he's a future all-star, future all-NBA player. That's the part where I don't think I agree with a lot of people. A lot of people think he's like a incredible once-in-a-generation talent. You hear that sometimes, and I'm just like, that's not where this is. It's not where this is going to go, in my opinion. But having said that, I do like him in what is generally, in my opinion, a pretty weak top of the draft. Number two, I do have Brandon Ingram for a lot of the reasons Mike said. Number three, I have Dragon Bender for a lot of, for a lot of the reasons Mike said. They both provide incredible positional versatility. They can both shoot. They both have pretty high feels for the game. They're both really big and have like the standing reach of centers. They're going to allow you to play small without going small, if that makes sense. Like the, those kind of guys are uh, guys that are really important in today's NBA with the way that uh, teams are able to space floor on offense and defend positionally and versatilely, switching pick and rolls and everything. So I think that both of those guys are going to be able to do that. Chris Dunn, I have at number four. I think we've talked enough about Chris Dunn. You guys know where I stand on this. I think that most people who follow my work know where I stand on Chris Dunn. Number five is where I differ a little bit. I've scowled out at number six. Uh, number five, I have Jamal Murray. I think I've still been fine with what I've seen from Murray at Kentucky this year. The problem with Kentucky is that Murray's shooting 39% from three. The rest of his team is shooting like 26 or 27% from three this year. And that's really condensing in letting teams pack the paint against them. Murray's a guy that his off the ball skill is more that, or on the ball skill is he's a really shifty guy, a guy that has tremendous change of pace and change of direction. Uh, And he doesn't really have the creases right now to get in and attack the paint in the way that I I think he's capable of personally. Uh, So I have him at number five and I think his game's going to translate to the NBA a lot better than what we've seen at Kentucky so far. And, Honestly, he's been really good at Kentucky. He's averaging like 16 points a game, has like a 54% true shooting percentage. It's not great, but it's not ideal. Uh, and I think that the turnovers will get cut down whenever the clutter in the middle of the paint uh, kind of dissipates. 
Sam, I'm going to give you the exact same two questions we talked about with Chris Dunn. Can Do you think he should or can, whatever word, run an NBA offense, and what positions do you think he can defend? I think he is going to mostly defend twos. Uh, he's 6'5", with like a 6'7", 6'8", wingspan. Uh, you might be able to get away with him on ball some, but he's not a great defender by any means. That's why you're talking about him at like number five versus number two for me, uh, which is where I think his offensive upside lies. Second, as far as, uh, I'm sorry, you said running an NBA running offense. Running an offense, like being a primary or a secondary ball handler. Would say. Yeah, I think the vision's there. I think the shiftiness is there. I mean, if he's, he, I think he can be a primary ball handler with another guy who can be a strong secondary ball handler, like you see with James Harden in Houston. I think that, you know, he still needs a strong secondary ball handler next to him. Like he needs a Patrick Beverly next to him who can, uh, kind of help break press, break heavy pressure and do, do uh, all sorts of different things with the ball. I think that Murray's going to be able to do that. He has strong vision, good ball handling ability, uh, good shiftiness, good change of pace. Uh, so yeah, I think that he's going to be fine to be able to be a lead ball handler at least. Murray is one guy that I like, but I'm not quite as high on as Sam. I, I do think that, like he said, he's, had a really good year in a lot of ways, you know, regardless of how things have looked. You know, he's shooting 41% from two. I think, like you said, some of that is the spacing isn't just mm-hmm. – is really isn't there. Um, he's He's been kind of up and down as a shooter, but now 39% from three. He makes a lot of tough shots, and he can pass. I mean, he can play with the ball. My issue with him has always just been – one, he's not a good defender. Nope. <laughs> and he, you know, he's never really shown that. And, you know, we talk about the importance of guards being good defenders isn't, isn't nearly as important as people think. And, and I totally get that. But, um, the issue for me is more so just the lack of athleticism in general. I think he's able to set up a lot of things with his jump shot and he's pretty advanced in the mm-hmm. pick and roll for his age. I just do worry about if he is a primary guy, like his ability to get by guys consistently. Cause, um, while he has the change of pace stuff and, and he can use his jumper to set a lot of things up, um, he just isn't all that quick with the ball and, and his frame is just kind of okay to me. So, you know, I, I like him and I think he's going to be able to score, uh, and he's going to be a nice, like secondary playmaker type, but I don't have like a huge, huge ceiling for him. And I'll say this too. I, I think in a normal draft where there's a typical, uh, you know, top end of the class, top five, top 10, uh, he'd be a guy that you would expect to go around like number 10 overall or something like mm. that. Um, in this draft though, I just don't really like a lot of the guys at the top. So that's why I, I'm just kind of going by, uh, who I feel is, who I feel a little bit more confident in marginally compared to guys like Scal and Jalen Brown and Henry Ellenson. What are the only guys? One, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I think that's totally fair with, with him and he's, He's got a little – I've talked about this before. He's got a little C.J. McCollum to him, I think. He's a little bit bigger than him. But, um, you know, he, what, he went for 30, what, last night, 36? So 35 I, and like 35. 11, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, he, I mean, he's a guy who can really fill it up and, and he can find guys. So um, by no means is, is uh, Murray a bad prospect or anything. I just – I don't love his upside. I've, I've actually like what I like about Murray a little bit more now than I did at the beginning of this season is I think it's clear his role is clarified a little bit to me that he's just basically he's he's a two that you you want a specific type of point guard next to him and that's a that's a nice thing to have because when a guy's kind of nebulous between the two that can always be challenging because you have to you mm-hmm. know figure out what you want next to him and so for me you know, you don't want him next to every point guard. You know, you don't want him next to, like, a, a Civ or somebody like that. That's actually one of the issues I have with Lillard and CJ, though, of course, that you can build around that because they're so gifted in other ways. 
But like the guy that I, I w- I've been thinking about, not in terms of specific attributes, but just in terms of the way that he's been used is hopefully Zach Levine can be a kind of an instructional thing here. I've been very critical of Minnesota has kept on trying to bang the drum on him at point guard. But when they yes. play him at the two, it works because you have somebody else and that allows you to somebody to create the seams and then he can take advantage of the pockets created by guys like Rubio and Wiggins. And I feel like that's what Murray's going to end up being, but he's good enough at his strengths to make that worth it. Yeah, all, all of that adds up to me as well. I was a guy who wasn't super high on Levine coming into the draft because, uh, again, he's not a good defender. I, I didn't really see a whole lot in the way of shiftiness and ball handling ability uh, and change of pace there. Uh, that's where I think that Murray's a little bit better of a prospect than he is, but the athleticism's obvious, obviously off the charts. It, it, he's a little bit of a different prospect, but they're similar in the way that you hope that they're utilized. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, And where Murray does definitely have him. I mean, the athleticism obviously very different, but his feel is to me is much. That's a big thing that scared me with Levine coming out. He, he wasn't yeah. all that happy with the UCLA situation, but um, he was, you know, fairly clueless on the court a lot of times. So I think Murray at his age has a really, really good court sense about him. And Murray's jumper, I think mechanically is much more sound than Levine's is. Um, is that, is that crazy? Or is that just when I watch it, I, I see Murray as a better natural shooter. It's it's a little bit more fluid. I worry that Murray has a little bit low of a release point, but uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit more fluid than when I watch Levine shoot. Yeah, I don't think they're both either of them are like super super traditional. But um, I mean, Murray can fill it up. He he has that crazy arc a lot of times, low release, like Sam said. And I think uh, they're both kind of streaky in their own right. Yeah. Yeah, you worry that whenever uh, Murray gets tighter defenses against him in the NBA on the perimeter, that that low release point's going to pop up. But yeah, uh, it, it, he's a. I think he's a better shooter right now than Levine, uh, just because it's a little bit more of a fluid shot. He can get it off a little bit easier than Levine can. But again, there, it's not like I think he's going to be an elite shooter in the NBA either. We haven't talked much about Bender, a guy who's three on both your boards. What I'm intrigued by with him is obviously his shots there, and I, I like a lot of his overall game. I haven't seen a ton of him yet. But defensively, I think, you, do you both see him as a four? I do, yeah. Um, but I think he's more, you know, he can be more interesting if he's able to play some five, obviously, with that with that reach. Uh, I just worry about his frame a little bit, but I think he's going to be able to play some five, no question. He's got a 9-3 standing reach, and he is really thin, but... I mean, the guy just turned 18 years old, uh, and apparently, from what I had heard, he's never lifted a weight in his life. So um, I think that's something that's you know interesting to consider because uh, he doesn't have a terrible frame, and a lot of times I think that's maybe something that we overanalyze a little bit. It seems like guys, you know, unless they're just twigs, uh, usually end up filling out fairly nicely. But I, what I really like about Benders, I mean, I, I saw him. At Eurocamp, that was the, the first time I'd actually seen him live, and like this dude was switching every ball screen, yep. staying with every point guard, blocking shots on the perimeter. Like, I mean, for Maccabi, he's been guarding a lot of threes. So mm-hmm. um, his ability to move his feet, you know, a lot of times you get these seven-one guys who can't really bend their knees. Like he, he's not that type of dude at all. And you know, I do think that sure, if you can guard bigger, it's it's a lot of times better. But um, I think he's going to be a guy who can really switch ball screens and, and move his feet and guard some perimeter guys at times. So, uh, yeah, defensively, I think he's a little bit better of a four because he's he doesn't get a lot of lift as as like a rim protector type. He's he's kind of quick off his feet, but yeah. he's not an explosive guy. 
So, yeah, I like him a little bit better as a four defensively, at least right now. That's exactly what I was going to mention as far as him as well. Uh, he's a guy that's really good at switching ball screens, and you would think that he can kind of be playing that like three, four uh, range where you see Golden State, for instance, uh, kind of you have Draymond Green and Harrison Barnes like kind of flip flop back and forth between who they guard depending on the matchup. I think you can have Bender kind of do that. Um, one thing I will note about his athleticism is, like Mike says, uh, for a seven foot, seven foot one kid, he's incredible fluidly and laterally, but he's a kid that isn't super explosive to me. Uh, he's not a guy that's going to go up and block a ton of shots. Like he's, you know, it, it's just not necessarily a guy who is. Uh, someone I would want at the five, really protecting the rim. But, you know, at the four and the three even a little bit, I think that he'll be fine. He'll provide a lot of versatility that way defensively. So, yeah. I think what could be fun with him is if he plays back at five in second units, just because they team, most teams don't have a guy that will really punish you there. You know, if, uh, though there right. is this move towards back-to-the-basket centers on second units, which I personally love. I think that's – and we, if we want to talk about Diamond Stone, that's what I see as his – as a great role for him. But – if you do that a little bit, just because something we've seen actually referencing last night's game again with, with Myers Leonard is most big men just don't really know how to process a pick and pop with a guy whose shot you have to respect. Like, it's just not something they've had to mm-hmm. do very much. And so you, I don't think you want to do that on like Marcus or something like that, because those guys have strengths that he can't, that Bender can't negate, but on somebody who's like a, you know, one of those guys, one of those just kind of guys who plays backup center in the league. I think that you are gaining a greater advantage than you're losing with a guy like Bender. That's what I'm really intrigued by. If you play him like 25 minutes and 12 of those minutes are as a backup five, and then the other ones are as a, as a four with a more cohesive unit, I think that would be awesome. Yeah, I'm with that completely. I, I'm very, very high on Bender as a prospect. I think the biggest thing that people have questioned, you know, is, is he going to give you enough scoring in the half court? Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that his jumpers come around. I mean, he's never been a guy who's made a lot of jumpers. And we had like something like 70, 75 games of, of stats on him uh, career before this year. And it's like 26% from three. Um, he's not a guy who shoots it really well from the free throw line. So I think it'll be really interesting to see if that holds up, but he's got pretty good mechanics. And I think he's at least worst case going to be a guy you have to respect out there and he's going to make you close out to him. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all that. So I, I don't really uh, have too, too much else to add there. One guy we haven't talked about at all, one of the few players I've actually seen in person, so I'm kind of excited about this, is, <laughs> is Jalen Brown. Uh, Jalen Brown, when I saw him, it was early in the year. They played UC Santa Barbara. And what struck out to me, and of course he's really young and he's a freshman, is he didn't pop like a lot of guys who have that top five buzz do. But as Sam noted, this is not a normal top five. This isn't a guy like, but, but he still has a lot of, a lot of positives that have to be considered. Yeah, no, I think that that's uh, fair. He hasn't necessarily popped yet. Uh, He obviously has the incredible athleticism that you see out in transition with some of these cool dunks that he's able to do. Uh, A lot of the cool stuff that generally he's just able to do. Uh, A lot of the reason that you like him is that you hope he's going to be able to play, again, like a versatile Harrison Barnes type uh, that's going to be able to play 3-4 defensively that can kind of give you, like I said, that versatility. But uh, the things that we've seen thus far from Jalen, he's not a guy that really seems to take like bull by the horns, I guess is the way to put it. Like he's not a guy that's going to be able to create for himself a ton right now just because the ball handling ability isn't really there yet. I don't think he's a particularly good passer yet by any means. Uh, the feel for the game is just 
fine again. The athleticism's great, and uh, you know a lot of the stuff that he brings is really strong. But again, if this is a kid that I think we'd be talking about more toward the middle of the draft, uh, middle of the first round, than a uh, potential top ten pick, uh, if this was a normal draft. Yeah, I think he's really, really interesting. Uh, no question in terms of his defensive versatility that you mentioned. You know, he's six seven with a seven foot wingspan. He's got yeah. an outstanding frame. Uh, so, I mean, worst case, he's a you know wing defender, mate three four type defender who's going to be a slasher. I mean, he lives at the line. He's like ten free throws per forty minutes or something like that, which yeah. is both a positive and something you look at. Okay, is that something that translates? Because oftentimes it doesn't. But there are a lot of questions about him. I mean, like you said, his feel is just okay. He's not a great shooter. He never has been. He can make a three, but um, he's never been a great shooter. And, you know, he's he's just kind of an inconsistent guy. I mean, some I saw him earlier this year against uh, San Diego State, and you know, I was sitting right behind their bench, and, and he was just out of it. Like, he played 60. He had some foul trouble, um, but he scored seven points. He, he's kind of a to-himself type of guy. And then the next night, he scores 27 on, you know, 16 shots against Richmond. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, he's, he's always been kind of a tough guy, I think, for scouts to fully gauge. But, uh, you know, the, the physical stuff is there, the athleticism. Um, and if, if he can just settle a little bit, a little bit more and uh, if he's able to become a more respectable shooter, I think, you know, he has a really high ceiling in this draft. Um, but there are a lot of serious questions around him. Yeah, I would also say this. Uh, I think that pre-draft interviews are going to be pretty important for him because, like Mike said, he's a guy that – NBA scouts kind of wonder about like as far as what kind of person he is he's always been like a march to the beat of your own drum kind of guy from everything I've heard uh, from people who have covered him in the past and from uh, NBA scouts and stuff so it's going to be interesting to see how that part of it goes and that's why I think that like I said interviews are going to be important for him uh, if he can really sell a team on him being a really strong team oriented person who uh, will always do the right things and everything. He's not a bad kid by any means. He's apparently a very intelligent kid. It's just he needs to kind of kind of portray and exude a little bit more of a passion beyond what he's done so far. If you could combine Jalen Brown's physical with Ivan Robb's mental, you'd have one hell of a player. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no question. Yeah, no, like the important thing for him too is like Sam said, he is a, a really, really good kid, a super intelligent guy. I mean, if you sit down and talk with him, like he can talk about – different Mm -hmm. things that aren't basketball related like he's very into yoga he's 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 just a different kid and um so i think maybe he looks a little bit out of place at times on the bench or you know in the locker room so (laughs) interviews will be important for him but hey he you know he has things that you really can't teach so uh, we'll just see how far those things take him yeah and by no means do i mean to like say he's a bad kid he's not at all a bad kid he's uh from everything i've heard he's a great kid it's just like i said that he's gonna have to interview well with teams to show them and exude a little bit more of a uh more of a caring about basketball yeah yeah right right so we i talked earlier about kind of my vision for bender is bouncing to the five but i uh, the more i thought about it that might be a more accurate description of the role for henry ellenson is that maybe is he maybe the better guy for that play the four, but then slide over to the five and bench units? I th- to me, Allenson is probably going to struggle defensively no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> He's just somebody who... He cares who's... defensively. That That's better matters. than Kevin Love. Yeah, a little bit. He does care a little bit defensively. I don't know, man. I mean, when I watch him, he just gets 
either over the top or side to side, he gets cooked pretty badly. Um, he gets torched. I mean, I, I did the, I did a big draft thing on Ellenson uh, last week and noted how slow he is laterally. Like he's yeah, not a guy that's laterally. yeah, he's but not he, a guy that's going to be good in pick and roll situations. But his offensive game is just fun. I, I awesome. like him a lot. I like him a lot too. I, I have him at I think number seven. I really really like offensively. He's a total stud. I mean, yeah. Uh, he, he's the grab and go type of guy, you know, he, he's, he can handle, um, he, his shot is projectable, you know, I mean, he doesn't always yeah. shoot as well as you would think, but I think he's going to be fine in that regard. He can attack a closeout. He's got a little bit of floater game to him. He's got some post game. He uses left around the rim. Yeah. He's super fun, man. Yeah. One thing I noted with Ellenson in my, in the drafting that I wrote last week is that he's shooting so far this year, something like three for 17 on unguarded shots this year, like unguarded jump shots, yeah. that's not something that's going to hold. Like that's just a random small sample size thing where it, it'll be fine and it'll revert back. And I think his percentages are going to leap with that once it reverts back. Well, he's shooting 75%, I think, on free throws. So, I mean, that's mm-hmm. something that you, that you can track more to because it's a larger sample size than the unguarded shots. Yeah, no, I like uh, Ellenson a lot. I think I have him at number eight on my board. Uh, he's, uh, like Mike said, not only a guy who can grab and go, but he can really attack a closeout. Like, this is a kid who keeps a very low-to-the-ground dribble, uh, much more so than you would expect to see from a 6'10 kid with a 7'2 wingspan. Like, he handles the ball really, really well. The shot is projectable. It has a high release point with a great arc. There's very little that he can't do on offense, in my opinion. Defensively, he's going to struggle. But on offense, uh, especially also in the post, like he's a very nice mid-post game with really strong footwork. There's very little that he can't do on offense, and I'm a fan. Well, and so, something else to note real quickly with him is two, three years ago, this kid was 260 pounds. Like yeah. he has completely changed his body as much as any prospect, um, you know, in the last few years. I mean, he was a big kid. So, you know, I'm sure he's still getting used to, you know, that new frame, but um I just think that's important to note. Like he's he's put in the work and really worked on his body and mm-hmm. uh, and gotten a lot better there. It's also important to note too because it makes sense that that's where the heavy feet come from as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's always good to me to see somebody do that at a young age because not only does it show does it show just like effort, but it shows that he cares about the game and he cares about his development because that's you can't do that sort of thing without putting in the time. No question. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, Mike and I talk about sometimes uh, how he hates kids who – he hates kids. He hates all of them. No, <laughs> he, he hates kids who don't get better over the course of their college career. Um, I, I'm a little bit more forgiving uh, in that regard uh, just because I think that there can be a lot of factors that kind of go into it. But he doesn't like kids who uh, always – who don't really get better uh, throughout their college career and are putting up the same numbers as a sophomore as they are as a senior. Um, that doesn't bother me as much, but I can totally understand it and see where uh, Mike would get it. And with Allenson, I don't think you have to worry about that at all. Uh, yeah, I think I think about that actually more in terms of NBA guys. When a guy doesn't jump, let's say from his first year to his second or his second to his third, I just kind of sit there and go, "Well, what did you do?" You know, there's so much right. that's that's going on there. And in, in college, there can be more mitigating factors. But I agree. I think that that's it's a great way of of having an estimate because there's so much that is beyond the court that we don't get to see of what a guy really prioritizes. And while you can be a great basketball player and not have it be your everything it's a lot easier to be great if it is. Yeah, no question. I, I just, I don't know. I have a soft spot for guys who really like just put in the time and improve like a, like a Frank Kaminsky, you know, I mean, that guy was, 
nobody his first year or two at Wisconsin. And, you know, he, he really turned himself into a player. And then, um, you know, there are a lot of guys who just kind of plateau and, and it's business as usual. They, they go to practice and, and they play games and don't improve. So I think it's important to see the development curve because, like you said, that tells you a little bit at least about what type of kid this is. So I, I think a place to go with this, we've we've talked about a lot of the main guys, is you can go either close to that group or deep as, as deep as you want to go of just, I guess we'll start with Mike, of a couple, like a guy or two that you just really like, whether it be that you think they're underappreciated or somebody that you just, that you, you think that people who listen to this should keep an eye on. Uh, so a lot of them are the, the international guys. I, I really like the international guys. Uh, it seems to always be French guys. <laughs> I think that's just kind of maybe how things are going nowadays. But um, I recently did a vid on, video on uh, Peter Cornelie, and mm-hmm. I really like him. I mean, his frame, uh, I think Sam's mentioned it before, is is definitely to be concerned. Um, he's a really, really thin dude, but uh, and his feel is not great. But he's a 20-year-old kid from France. He's a legitimate seven feet now, and he really, really shoots it. And he can move like, like in a lot of ways, like Bender. Um, maybe not as well, but he's super fluid on the perimeter. Uh, he can switch ball screens. Uh, he's actually a little bit more competitive than you would think, given how thin he is. But yeah, he plays for Le Mans in France. He plays in, uh, you know, Pro A and, and Euro Cup right now. And I think he's a guy who's going to go in the first round. Um, and mm-hmm. if he had a better body and maybe a little bit better feel, I think he's someone you could talk about at the end of the lottery in this draft. So, yeah, like I said, seven feet tall. He's shooting 42% from three this year on a, on a healthy number of attempts. Um, and he can, you know, he can attack a closeout a little bit. Um, and he's got a really good reach, uh, even though he's not overly long. So uh, he, he's a guy that I really like as a sleeper. Yeah, Cor- Cornelli is a good one. Um, I have him, I think, at number 30 on my board right now. Uh, he's The body is what scares me. Uh, he looks like he's never eaten a cheeseburger in his entire life. Um, yeah. But uh, the skill is there. The jump shooting ability is really there for a kid that's seven feet tall. Um, I- I'm a fan of him. But the guy that I like above uh, a lot of people's opinions, I think, is Buddy Heald. Uh, this is a kid that you know I- I've written about extensively in the past. I've gotten to know. Uh, a little bit of his family and stuff. Uh, he's just a very, very hard worker. This is a kid that Oklahoma, when he was a freshman, literally had to like lock the balls up in the like workout room because he wanted to go shoot. Like he, they literally had to slam the door, lock it, and then lock the balls up like in the basketball rack to where he wouldn't be able to get to them because he's one to live in the gym constantly and improve and improve. And I think that you see that in his game. Uh, he's a kid that has really jumped up throughout the course. He's gone from going from eight points a game to 16 to 17, all the way up to 25 now this year. And uh, the jump shooting was always pretty good in his sophomore and junior years. Uh, he's right around a 37% three-point shooter. But this year he's shooting 53%. The jump shot looks better overall looks like uh, there's better arc to it the footwork is a little bit better uh so i'm a fan of that but especially his ability to handle the ball has been remarkable this year he now can attack closeouts full stop he can get the ball and go and transition he can do these nice little spin moves in the paint to get a little bit more space he can do low crossovers now that he never was able to do in the past i think that that is where he is 
differentiated his game. Whenever you take into account that he's six four with like a six nine wingspan, six eight wingspan, somewhere in that range, uh, this is a kid that shouldn't have too many problems playing the two, but also should be able to really knock down shots and he cares defensively so i'm a pretty big fan of him uh near the uh i'd say in the bottom 10 picks of the first round and at this point he looks like he's going to be a tool on both ends right he's a off the ball guy but who can who can kind of initiate off closeouts and then defend twos yeah no i, I think that that's exactly right um i uh, I, yeah, I just like him because I know that he's always a kid that's going to work as hard as humanly possible to improve his game. I think he's talked about signing with Sam Vecini as his agent in the past, too, because the love is has always been there between those two. It's always fun. been there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have always liked Buddy Heald. He's a very good player, in my opinion. He's I'm definitely gotten better. Of, There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some other guys who uh, I am really high on. I think I'm a little bit higher on Gary Payton as well uh, than most people are. The jump shot's been a little bit better this year. It's still not there yet, but I think he projects nicely as a backup point guard who really defends and uh, can create for others. What have you guys thought? One guy I haven't followed him too much this year. I watched a little bit last year is, uh, I can't pronounce his first name for the life of me, but on uh, Arvita Sabonis' kid. I think that he's going to be somebody who, when he can, when he can get, if he gets in the right pro scheme, I think it can really work. Yeah, he's someone I'm not, uh, I haven't always been as high on, I think, uh, just in terms of upside. I, I think there's a lot to like about him because he's really tough. He's an efficiency monster. Um, he's got a little bit of post game. But just to me, he's always been kind of a 6'10 center without a bunch of length. But, you know, I, he made a three the other day, and I, I think he's getting better at at least giving you a little bit of spacing in that regard. But to me, like, he's he's always going to have a really, really high floor, you know. And um, if you look at his numbers this year, I mean, they're ridiculous. He's averaging, like, 24 and 15 per 40 with, like, a 32 PER. Um, so, yeah, he's shooting 84% of the line. So, uh, I, I think that's something that's starting to look a little bit more projectable than than I ever thought it would. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, a high floor, and if he continues to show improvement like this, then why not? Yeah, I mean, that's a kid that I have in the top 20 on my board right now just because, like Mike said, high floor, I feel pretty confident he's going to play a role in the NBA and in this draft that matters. And that's something I think also with the way that you see Buddy Heald is like if you can have somebody who you feel relatively confident that if you gave them 15 minutes a game in the NBA, they would do a decent job. That's incredibly valuable at the end of the first round, particularly in this year, because this is probably going to be the last year with the current rookie scale is that if you can get somebody who you're not going to regret having them on your roster, that's a huge tactical advantage considering they're going to be paid basically nothing. Yeah, I think a lot of people... Uh, oftentimes lose sight of the fact that you're not getting an all-star at the end of the first round. You know, I think nope. that's what people just miss on um, so often, you know, fans and, and um, just other people in the public, like their team gets a role player at 25 and they're upset about it, you know? So I think you really have to look for guys like that in that range who are going to be able to give you minutes, be a rotation guy right away. And I think Sabonis is someone who fits that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I totally agree with Mike on that. Uh, it's the difference between taking someone like Damanis Sabonis at 24 and Malik Newman at 24. Like Malik Newman has a reasonably high ceiling, especially when you compare him with Sabonis. But there are certainly plenty of uh, plenty of circumstances where you can see Malik Newman not ever carving out a role in the NBA. 
one thing that I was kind of intrigued by, because you guys are both more on, let's say, non-NBA players, because of course that includes all the internationals, is, is, is there any time when you've been watching, when you've been watching the NBA this year, somebody who you followed from earlier on that has either, like, impressed you, surprised you, or something like that, somebody who stands out as saying, like, oh, they're, maybe they're different than I expected? Okay, CJ McCollum is a guy that we talked about. Um, I, I wasn't a real big fan of him. I thought he was a two in a point guard's body. He's been way better than what I expected. I didn't, I also didn't know that he was a superb athlete either. And, uh, everything has, uh, totally translated with his game. Everyone says he's a super high character kid that gets in the gym and works hard. Uh, I think that that's something that back in 2013, I undervalued personally. Uh, and yeah, now that CJ McCollum is playing like he is, I think that that's something that, you really can't undervalue. Uh, McCollum really does care, and McCollum really has played incredibly well this year for uh, Portland, and that's a kid that I was wrong on. Sam, can I add Clint Capella to your list? <laughs> I don't know. Can, like, he's fine. He's uh, wh- where did you where did you have him? I'm trying to remember. I had him like at the end of the first round. I think. Okay. I think I had him like right around where he was drafted, and a lot of people had him higher than that. Well, yeah, like Kevin thing. Kevin Pelton and I had him in the. I think had him both had him in the top ten. But yeah, no, like I, I had Capella probably around like twenty nine or something yeah. like that, and he's like fine. I mean, yeah, yeah he's, he's he's a rotation like, player. Yeah, he's a rotation player. It's not someone. That's not someone like Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert is the person I think I was most wrong on. And like I say to Mike all the time, I think I have a like a blind spot when it comes to watching the French league because like I, I looked at Rudy Gobert and thought there was no way that that was going to work in the NBA. But Rudy went about transforming his body in very substantive ways to where he actually became an NBA athlete in a way that I didn't think he was whenever he was young. So Jonathan Gian should feel better if you're a little bit a little, a little bit lower on him. <laughs> Honestly, I swear to God, I gave him like I kind of evaluated him like in the same spot that I evaluated Cornelie, and then I was like, you know what, this is a big guy in France, and I know Cornelie is too, but he's more of like a stretch four. I was like, you know what, I'm bumping him up five spots because I'm wrong. Like I, I seriously, it's a blind spot that I have and that I've acknowledged at this point. So I'm just like, all right, I. I have to think about this and I have to just be rational and be like, okay, I've been wrong on all of these guys in the past. I need to get this. Like I, I need to do something to change my thought process. I mean, Cornelie is thin, but like Jonathan John is paper thin. I yeah. mean, he's Cornelie has like 25 pounds. on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, <laughs> there, there's no doubt there, but uh, John's more of a center and Cornelie is more of a four. So right. it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how Jonathan John uh, develops. Uh, I don't know if I would take him in the first round. Like, I don't know if I could. I don't know if he'll declare this year. And that's the other thing about a lot of these European prospects. You would think that a lot of them will declare this year because this is an incredibly weak draft. And this is the kind of draft where you can get, you can get guaranteed money as a first round pick or get stashed as a second round pick rather easily. But a guy like Dragon Bender, for instance, there are a lot of questions about what his buyout looks like because he's on a four plus three deal uh, with Maccabi right now that's in the second season. So does he come over in 2016 or 2018? Uh, I'm not really sure what that, what exactly the numbers are for the buyout. Timothy Luawu, you would assume is probably going to come. Uh, like some, like Jonathan John is so young. Silas Harlan Publis is so young. Like a lot of the high end prospects in this draft that are international are so young that they're going to have three more drafts to declare for. 
So do you come in this draft? Do you not come in this draft? The international pool in this draft is going to be incredibly important for how strong or weak this draft is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's a lot of guys, man. There could be, a, you know, a lot of international guys drafted in the first round just because there's so much uncertainty. And I think John is one of them. I think Luawu is another one of them. Cornelie, uh, the guy I really like is Isaiah Cordonier. Uh, Sam's heard me mention him in the past. Um, he's been putting up great numbers in Pro B. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I've missed on a lot of guys, man. Like, I really liked, I really, I liked Trey Burke, you know, like that's, that's a tough one to, I like Trey Burke a lot, too. Out, he's carving out a nice niche off the bench, no, but, um, you know, I, I was way too high on him. McCollum is another guy. I liked McCollum, but he's he's definitely exceeded expectations to me. Uh, I was super high on Alex Len, and, I, you know, I think that – I was, too. That I don't think the jury's completely out. I mean, you know, he's had some injuries, and, and he's still he's still young. He'll show flashes every once in a while, but, God, I loved Alex Len. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, you swing and miss a lot of times. I mean, the easy cop-out answer is I don't think anyone thought Porzingis would be as good as he has this quickly, even though he's slumping a little bit right now. I really liked him. I had him at, you know, maybe four, but I thought he was going to take a, a little bit longer as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that either of us were really off on Porzingis. Right, like, right. And like Moutier's been, Moutier's been rough early, but I think we all expected that. I mean, that's not, that's not anything that's really surprising. What, what, going back to what you both talked about, but particularly Sam, about the idea of what the internationals do, um, one of the crazy, I call it three-dimensional chess dynamics of this class is that waiting would probably get you more money in your first couple NBA years. But if you think that you're going to be a really good NBA player, then you want to get out of the rookie scale as quickly as you can, you know. So you want to you want to get you might want to get in and get that, but it's going to be it's really complicated because also then you're adjusting at a younger age, and there are a lot of different things there. And one of the ones that I'm intrigued on is whether Rudy Gobert's coming over early and really working for him, whether that will affect a certain group of big men to maybe come over a little bit premature just to settle in and to make it work. And then when you're ready to grow into the spot, not only are you into your rookie scale contract, but you've already, you're in the team culture. One thing that you do have to remember too, uh, a lot of these kids that we're talking about are in the French league. We'll say the French league is not necessarily known as the best place to develop. Yeah. Uh, so a, a lot of, French kids who play in the French league or in Capella's case, a Swiss kid who played in the French league, uh, they're going to want to come over as soon as possible. And that, that's actually what ended up happening with, uh, Mamadou Jete last year. It was a French kid who, uh, was like a, he should have been a, he was typically, he's a guy that typically would have been drafted in the second round, but he wanted to come over immediately and wasn't really willing to be stashed. Uh, might, might have been willing to be stashed in the D league. Who knows? But like, uh, th that was something I heard as far as him not getting drafted. So, uh, I think French kids are certainly going to be more likely to come over immediately. And now I'm thinking about guys that I miss on. I think one of the ones I was actually talking about this offline with Kevin Pelton yesterday is I miss a lot on athletes that don't have great feel. Like when you, you sit there and you go, oh, if they can figure this out, the guy that I've used as an example before is Joe Alexander. Like I just, I sat there and I looked at what he could do well. And I'm like, I think he can figure this other part out. And I was just horrendously wrong. <laughs> I think a lot of times too is if you can only teach him to shoot, all he needs to learn how to do is shoot. And like, 
I, I think guys get better. Sure. You know, and like we talk about, um, free throw percentage being a good indicator. Uh, if, and if you haven't taken a lot of threes in college, you know, you haven't really explored that or you weren't given much freedom because your coach is a dictator, but it's just like, I hear that way too often for me. You know, it like the guy takes 150 attempts, shoots 22%. Oh, he's only a jump shot away. You know, it's, isn't Perry Jones like a great example of that? Yeah. Yeah. God, you just terrified the heck out of me with Jalen Brown now. Yep. That's the guy, that's actually the guy that I thought of the first time I saw him, and I've been scared to say it publicly, but the first thing I thought was Perry Jones. Yeah. But he has more, like, I think he does, Jalen does a better job using his athleticism. Like, I think that Perry Jones, you could see it, but you didn't see it every second. But the other guy that I thought of with that is, is Tony, is, I, I believe it was North Texas Tony Mitchell, who I oh, loved God. and completely bombed on. But, <laughs> but Jalen no. Brown, I think, has a lot of, he has the mental part of it way better than, than right. Tony Mitchell ever did. Yeah. God, I mean, I hope those so. two are kind of space cadets. So, yeah. Jalen's a smart kid. If that could ever scare the crap out of you with Jalen Brown, it's those two comps. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's Jalen, Jalen is nothing like Tony Mitchell at North Texas. <laughs> no, no, he's just an athlete. There, there are very few people like Tony Mitchell at North Texas. <laughs> I'm trying to think of if there's anybody else. Like the other guy that's been surprising to me is what happened to Jalen Brunson? Like, is he just off the map now in terms of draft prospects? Like, he's just going to be in college for a couple of years? I that's actually kind of how I always viewed him anyway. To be honest, yeah. um, I think that the you know the U19 tournament. That was kind of his coming out party. Uh, I, I don't think the competition was really as tough as some people thought. And, you know, they just kind of ran through that thing and, and, uh, he put up some big numbers, but I don't know. I mean, I, I never really saw it like big time with him. He's, he's doesn't have great measurables by any means. You know, he's, he's an okay athlete. He's an okay shooter. But I mean, in, in high school, uh, this, you know, this is the case with a lot of kids, but more like he was a scorer. You know, he, he would like fill it up. That was his role. And then with Team USA, you know, he, he was really playing the role of the, you know, run the show kind of guy. And I, I think he's continually improved, but I kind of see him as that. Like he's going to be in college for a few years and, you know, he'll probably sneak his way into the NBA. But yeah, I'm not a, super high on him. Yeah, I mean, he's a kid that I didn't have in my top 50 uh, coming into the year. And I don't, I don't rank freshmen. Uh, outside of the top 50. So, yeah, I, I'm mostly with Mike. I thought that that was also a really weird situation that he was entering with Ryan Archdiakono there, who you would think would handle a lot of the ball as well. So I kind of thought that his counting stats would be down a little bit. But overall, I, I think he's been okay. The jump shot just hasn't been as good as you would hope. Uh, and as good of a shooter as he looked like he was in high school, I mean, he was fine in high school in that regard. So he's a we'll see kind of guy. It is worth noting he's shooting 51% from two point range. So that's a pretty good sign that as long as the jump shot comes around, uh, he should be okay. And he's solid. You know, I mean, he, he can run the show a little bit and he knows how to play. He's tough. Yeah. There's definitely some things to like about him. I just, I, I don't really love his upside. Yeah, I mean, if you made me guess if he'll play in the NBA, I would say yes. But I don't know if it's going to be as anything more than like a solid backup. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think the question I'll let you guys go on, we'll ask Sam first, is if you were to pick one guy outside of your top five right now, let's say not to jump into the top five, but to jump into the top three, who would that be? That's hard. I mean, Scal's outside of my top five. I might say Scal, but that seems kind of unfair. Man, 
I really hope you say Cork Moss, just for my own amusement. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say Cork Moss. I, I would say one of Allenson or Pirtle. Uh, if you get a team that really just wants a solid contributor who you can feel reasonably confident will play in the NBA for a while, I can see either of Allenson or Pirtle hopping up into the top three. Yeah, I, c- I could see Allenson. I could see I could see Scal. You know, well, I mean, you just said he's kind of right there anyway for both of us, so. That's not a that's not a huge jump, but I don't know. I mean, there is kind of a a drop there for me. There is. I think that those three, and you know, you could say with Dunn if you want, but I think with those three at least, like that's that's a tier for sure. I think the number one spot is you know a little more open than some people would say as well. But yeah, to jump in there, maybe an Allenson, maybe a Scal. Actually, I thought of one more thing. Um, the way that I like to classify the quality of a draft is through three different attributes. One is stars, one is starters, and one is rotation players. So a draft can be strong in one or more than one or more of those. So like a, a class could be star heavy but weak overall and things like that. How right now, of course, this drill we don't know who's going to declare. But how do you guys think about this draft in terms of those kind of three attributes? I don't think that there's a ton of star power, really. Yeah, especially because I just kind of see Simmons as like a really, really good player and maybe not a total star. I think Ingram has the potential to be a star. I think it also depends kind of how you're defining star, right? I mean, uh, Simmons and Bender can be ultra versatile guys who do a million things right, but they're not going to average, you know, 17 points a game. But I think there's there's just not a ton of star power. I think there's a lot of role player types. I think there's a lot of starters, but I don't see a ton of star power in this draft. Yeah, I agree with Mike. I think that, like he said, there's not a lot of star power in this draft, and I think this might have been why we were relatively quick after Hoop Summit to think that, you know, Scal could be one of those stars. You know, we were, right. we're trying to find someone in this draft, really. Yeah. Um, and Scal certainly has that ceiling at the very least. As far as starters, I mean, I would say average, maybe. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of someone like in the middle of this draft. Like Wade Baldwin, I think, will probably be like a semi-solid starter in the NBA. Mm-hmm. But oh, I can certainly see. Than I, thought. Okay. I can see circumstances where that like totally craps out. Uh, but like looking at like a Steven Zimmerman, maybe Steven Zimmerman's like a Steven Adams in the NBA or something like that, or like. I don't think this is a super high-end draft starter-wise either. I think that it's probably a decent draft as far as rotation players, though. I mean, you can look lower. You can find, like, a Denzel Valentine, who I think will play in the NBA. You can find Nigel Hayes, uh, who I think will play in the NBA. Uh, Buddy Heald, Justin Jackson's relatively low on my board. Yeah, so maybe Torian Prince is another guy. Prince at 20 right now. So, yeah, like, that's another... Another solid player who I think will probably play in an NBA rotation. There are probably some other guys late that, like, Mike likes Ty Wallace. I'm not a real big fan of Ty Wallace. Maybe he plays in the NBA. Maybe Tyler Eulis plays a rotation player in the NBA. I would say rotation player is certainly where the strength is, if it's anything. But I'm not real high on the draft overall. Okay, well, thank you guys both for taking the time. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again to Sam and Mike for taking the time. You can read Sam Vicini at CBS Sports, and you can follow him on Twitter at Sam underscore Vicini. That's S-A-M underscore V-E-C-E-N-I-E. And you can read Mike. He does a lot of amazing work, both written and visual, for Draft Express. DraftExpress.com is another one of those must-follow sites for people who are into this, whether it's casual or hardcore. You can follow Mike on Twitter 
at Mike underscore Schmitz, M-I-K-E underscore S-C-H-M-I-T-Z. Loved having them on. We're already talking about doing another one of these closer to the tournament. We'll see if that happens. I'm guessing it will. I love doing it. And the draft is something that I think is a, is a good part for the Real Jam Radio world because it is a part of what everything that's going on. But at the same time, it is something that is hard to follow concurrently. That's something that I've actually had some trouble with. The more I've gotten into the NBA, particularly with doing Dunked On now, the harder it has been for me to follow college. And something we were going to talk about on the podcast, but we ended up hitting more substantive topics, I'd say, is this year in particular, the best college players are really spread out. And what that means from a functional perspective is that it is much harder to really get a sense of everybody at the same time. Like, for example, last year was a little bit more condensed than usual, but I watched a lot of Kentucky and a pretty solid amount of Duke, and the teams they played, you know, picking the game strategically, between those two teams and all their opponents, I felt like I had a pretty good sense of a lot of different guys. I ended up watching a fair amount of Wisconsin, too. But you get a sense of that. But this year, everybody's so spread out that you can't really do that. So I love having people like Sam and Mike that I talk to both on the podcast and, of course, offline, because they are doing the things that I used to do back when I cared about that more than the NBA, which is long since past. But I uh, love doing this episode. Um, as as always, I appreciate any feedback you have. You can hit me up the best ways probably on Twitter, uh, Danny underscore or Danny Larue, no underscores. The other two people have underscores. I do not. D a n n y l e r o u x. The other way you can get in touch with me is through email. I have an email address that's Danny Larue MBA at gmail.com, and as I always say, I read everything, I respond to as much as I can, and the reason I say that is that I want to promise you that if you take the time to write something, I will read it, but I do not always have the time to respond to everything. I get a lot of of material. A couple other ways you can follow me if you want. I have a weekly digest, I like to call it, where I put together pieces and podcasts I do, and also put some recommendations. I'm trying to beef that up a little bit, but you know, it's hard when you, over the course of a week, I don't always throw the things that I like into a into a doc, though I do sometimes. And then the other way is through Facebook. And so I have a Facebook, it's Danny LaRue MBA, just like the email address. And that combines everything that I do, the work for the Sporting News, the work for Real GM, the writing for Real GM, which is going to pick up soon. And it's all in one place. I try to update it when stuff comes out. So like this podcast will be up there pretty quickly. And I like having that there. So if you're interested in my work, you can do that. And if not, you know, you can you can go through any of the other means. But I really do appreciate people taking the time. I don't know for sure if this is going to be the last one of 2015. And I waxed sentimental on 100, and that wasn't that long ago. So I don't need to do that again. But it's going to be a great run, both the beginning of 2016 and one of the most interesting free agents processes that we're going to see the summer of 2016. I'm working on a lot of material, in particular for the Sporting News. And it's going to be special. And one of the challenges for me, and actually this might be a format that I use fairly frequently for it, is to explain why. And uh, there's a lot going on there. For those of you who listen to the Dunked On Basketball podcast, you can hear that too. Oh, and one other way, something we talk about on Dunked On is, first of all, subscribing to the podcast really helps. Downloading it every time also really helps. But writing a review. It's something that advertisers look at. It's something that people who are looking for their podcasts look at. And so if people say nice things and in in complete honesty, when I, you know, if there's ever a time that I'm feeling down or whatever, I do actually read some of the reviews. It helps me feel better. You know, things it's, it's nice to know that the work is being listened to and it's being appreciated. So 
you know, if you if you feel the urge to do that. And one of the hardest things in this world right now is to make sure that if you like something, to make sure that other people know about it because it is so spread out, it's so stratified right now that that can be hard. So if you choose to do that with my work, I appreciate it. If you choose to do that with other people's work, you should absolutely do that too. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Run to Old Navy for revolutionary prices on summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active.